Dotnet Rocks episode 786 with guest Bruce Lawson. Recorded live Friday, June 8th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard. We're at NDC still. We're still here. And I like it here. It feels like we've been here for weeks. It's been days, but yeah. Well, you know, if you're listening to the shows, the it, we've been here for weeks. I guess we have. We recorded a lot of shows already. We still got something to go today, but uh, that's the nature of being here. We got a nice recording booth. And we've got amazing guests, so why wouldn't we record as many shows as we can? And you know, I won't want to say it, but people from other shows have shown up here that run other conferences and said, "I really like what they're doing here." Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's something. Well, we have so much fun at these conferences, right? We just gave away all the prizes. I think you gave away a remote control helicopter. Yeah, with bombs. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but one thing they do have is a really pro sound stage. Yeah, they're well set up. Well, they they have a flat out concert here at the attendee party, right? I mean, two very significant bands from the uh, Norwegian audience come and play, and people love them. It's and the, yeah, the developers really respond well to all that great audiovisual content and my good friend carl franklin played for them and i got a whole bunch of folks come back and say we need to have carl play some more gonna bring the band next year all right well let's get into better know framework all right what do you got so i went looking because i'm always you know everybody knows visual studio isn't the greatest html editor and certainly not the best css editor bite your tongue oh my god oh come on <laughs> but uh you know, and, and Blend does a good job with uh, CSS. But I wanted to see what else is available. So I went out looking, and I found some people recommending Coffee Cup. And Coffee Cup has a free HTML editor that you can get at coffeecup.com slash free dash editor. And uh, it's a full-feature web design system, um, and they have HTML5 and CSS3 support. I think for 49 bucks you can get a version that does visual design, so sort of a WYSIWYG CSS3 designer. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. That's my tip of the day. Coffee cup. Somebody was recommending it on uh, on uh, Stack Overflow, and I just thought I'd go follow the lead. It looks pretty good. So who's talking to us, Richard? So just for our guest, I went back all the way to show 642, the show we did with Bruce Lawson and Remy Sharp about HTML5. And that, you know, goes back all the way to uh, March of 2011. There's some great comments here. You know, we never get a chance. We read all of these, but we don't get to publish them all. Let me read this one to you from Derek Fowler. I think the browser's implementing extra features is less of a problem these days because market shares are much more even. In order for a website author to reach the largest audience, they need to target all the browsers, and therefore only the features in the specs implemented by all the browsers are going to matter. They aren't just going to use all the features of Internet Explorer, regardless of whether they're part of the spec, just because IE has 90% of the market share, like in the 1990s and 2000s. And the, and the funny part is this is a year after this guy's written this comment, and it's even more true. Chrome's jumped up. You know, there's really a very fragmented market. The only sites using these features are going to be tech sites showing off the feature, or like in the case of Chrome's notifications, the company's own apps. Plus, as HTML and CSS now have quite a rich feature set, there's a good chance that any additional features are going to be value-add only, and the site isn't going to depend on them. 
Therefore, a lack of support in other browsers is less of an issue. And I got to agree with you there too, Derek. Stuff like modernizer just making those specialized features transparent. In fact, they even degrade gracefully. Uh, so uh, thanks for your comment. I know you wrote it a year ago, but it's still incredibly relevant. So we'd like to send you out a .NET Rocks mug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write us an email at .NET Rocks at franklins.net or write a comment on the site at .NET Rocks.com. And before I introduce our guest, I need to tell you about Pluralsight. They provide comprehensive developer training videos online. They have over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by experts such as those that appear on our show. They offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their vast library. 12 to 15 new courses come out every month. And as far as coverage goes, we're talking iOS, Java, Android, web development, HTML5, CSS, pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Uh, try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me welcome back to the show Bruce Lawson. Born into the tech world when he was hastily delivered on a table in the London Science Museum. Really? No. <laughs> Bruce evangelizes open web standards for opera. He co-authored Introducing HTML5, the first book on the subject, and was a member of the W3C Mobile Web Best Practices Working Group. Previously, he's been front-end technical lead for the Law Society and Solicitors Regulation Authority websites, tutor to a princess's daughter in Thailand, a movie extra in Bombay, and a tarot card reader in Istanbul. He blogs at brucelawson.co.uk, drinks Guinness, and is training for a blue belt in kickboxing. Hi, guys. Just your average guy. That uh, bio's from at least a year ago. How's the uh, blue belt coming? Um, I'm a gentleman of a certain age, Richard, and so therefore it takes considerably longer for me than it does for my kids. But uh, it, it's coming <laughs> along. I've so far made it up the stairs into the rings. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> so what was the movie in Bombay? It was uh, it was a straight-to-video thing called Maharaja Ranjit Singh, and it was filmed in the National Park with one camera. So all the fight scenes, they had to say freeze, and everybody would freeze, and wow. then they'd move the camera. Wow, um, that's neat. Yeah, I, I was part of the uh, invading English army. There were seven of us, and we had to walk around behind the camera, and they put a different hat on us and give us a different gun and put, put a false mustache on us. And we'd go in front of the camera again and <laughs> look a bit different. Made a whole army, did you? Yeah, if anybody out there has a copy of the Maharaja Ranjit Singh, I would love a copy because I've never seen it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, you're you're the web guy. You are the web guy. Seriously, what um, what can you tell us about the state of the web? Where do we start? Where do we start with the state of the web? It's looking pretty good. There's approaching feature parity, I think, with uh, native stuff. Obviously, right. the web's not as fast as you know compiled C plus plus. But with just-in-time JavaScript compilation, it's pretty close. And, and let's be honest, most people don't need that yeah. extra few milliseconds of speed. Well, and do you think the problem is the technology or is it the developers? I mean, are we still pulling too much data over the wire for, for an app that's going to run on an iPhone? It's true that uh, the size of web, uh, the size of websites has massively increased uh, over the last few years. No, I, I think it's just simply that. When you're coding stuff in native C++, you're sticking zeros and ones into yeah. the machine. Whereas if you're doing JIT compilation of JavaScript, there's still that yeah. extra bit of work. It seems to me when I'm using like an, an iPhone or a Windows Phone app and it's an HTML5 site, mm -hmm. 
And um, the the problem isn't that it's running slow, but it's always waiting on data, it seems to me. But it doesn't make any sense, though, because so is a native app waiting on data. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have a skewed opinion. Yeah, I think the other side of this is machines are now so fast. Like It is slicing pennies. You're waiting a quarter second, you're waiting half a second. Indeed. I mean, if, if, if it's a first-person shooter game, that makes a difference. Sure. But if it's uh, the difference between, uh, for example, uh, Amazon.com on the website on the phone versus mm-hmm. a native app, does it really make a difference whether you buy your product in half a millisecond or a third of a millisecond? It makes no difference. At the same time, I don't think we've got that good of adoption in the newest browsers. We're still battling the old browsers being out there. We're battling the older browsers. That is easier than it was before because with with things like HTML5, it's following the CSS model of uh, right. error correction in that hmm. if it doesn't know what something is, it will ignore it. Yep. And, and built in is feature detection. So if I want to find out, does your device support local storage? Mm-hmm. I do feature detection uh, with Modernizer or I can hand roll it trivially um, and then I can take remedial action. And there's a whole slew of community-written things called polyfills. Right. So, for example, I do feature detection. I find local storage isn't supported. I can download uh, a pre-written JavaScript polyfill, which is lazy-loaded. So you only download the polyfill if you, need if, it. if you need it, and then that will slice and dice cookies to act exactly like local storage. Hmm. And what's brilliant with that is you're coding as if the standards supported everywhere, right. and the scripts polyfill over the gaps. Well, and in the comment I was reading from the uh, the listener there, who talked, we, I mentioned Modernizer, which I think mm-hmm. is one of the better polyfill libraries out yeah. there. Well, Modernizer doesn't polyfill. Moly, no. uh, Modernizer does feature detection. Does detection. Tells you what does what. Indeed. Yeah. And there's a, a related library called Yepnope. Y-E-P-N-O-P-E. <laughs> Yepnope. What, what that does is you feature detect with Modernizer, and if your test comes out, yep then you can pull in one library or do nothing. And if it comes out, nope, then you can download a polyfill. Right. Now, the other thing that I'm wondering is, do phone manufacturers and tablet manufacturers have an incentive to favor uh, native apps over HTML5 apps? And I think the answer is clearly yes. Because they, you know, they get revenue from those, there's no revenue generated if somebody goes to a site and gets an HTML5 app. That Maybe the case. I mean, I can't answer for organizations that I'm not a member of. But you can agree that there's a built-in incentive. It, it's not quite as clear-cut. There's a financial incentive. Mm. But nevertheless, if your device can't access the content that people want because there isn't a native app for it, yeah. then people might not wish to buy the device because you can't access everything. Oh, that's true. Um, there's an interesting case, the Financial Times, which uh, to non-British listeners is a big pink newspaper in the UK, mm. a, a daily for, for breadheads, as we hippies call them. Um, but the Financial Times had an iOS app, uh, which was moderately successful, and they've turned it off mm. because they've rewritten it as an HTML5 web app right. now. And that, for them, is uh, they get more customers. Well, you know, maybe we could say then the incentive to favor the native app increases as the number of native apps grows for a particular platform. That and is it, yeah. absolutely the case, and that's why the world and his wife and his dog is trying to make an app store and fill it full of content in order to uh, 
to lock people in. I, I'm a web guy, you know, I, I use native apps on my Android phone, but uh, I would be happier personally if, if people were concentrating on the web because betting against the web doesn't seem to me a, a particularly long-term uh, strategy, personally. I'm also fascinated by the fact that you know uh, Microsoft released all this data about usage of the web and, and how things are working. They showed that there's a huge chunk of people that have never used favoriting at all. They never bookmark any of the links and things. Like One of the things I can say in favor of the App Store model is that the regular mortal seems to be able to follow the steps to get an app where they seem to struggle to get a website. That's really interesting. And uh, at Opera, we have, uh, for a long time, we've had something called speed dial. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you open a new tab, there are nine to infinite number of slots in which you can... And I think everybody's copied that now. All the latest browsers have that. Everybody's copied it. And also, I, I think that's like a proto-app store model because yeah. you get uh, a little uh, a screenshot of the site that you load up there. So immediately you see it there. You click on the screenshot for the site you want. You don't hunt and peck through bookmarks or favorites. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm not claiming that Opera invented app stores because clearly we didn't. But there's something about a little visual representation of the thing you want to do, right. one click to do it. And all the things you've done the most often. You know, they, I, I find myself even in Chrome. Those top eight things are actually the things I do most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Off that browser. You know what takes us to an app store? If there was another row below that that says, based on these things you've been to, you'd probably like these. Yeah, yeah. You know, that recommendation engine is what you really get out of an app store. And it feels like that's right there. You know, you've got an interesting assessment. The only thing that's going to be frightening is if that list is full of porn, the other list will be full of porn, too. Indeed. Or of just on, you know, could substitute porn with unwanted things. Precisely, but I don't like non porn. I, I doubt any of your listeners ever look at porn, no, so it's yeah. a, it's a well, no. I've never heard of it actually. <laughs> no idea. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Are you a web or mobile developer who wants to build amazing sites and apps? Looking for the best tool out there that can really improve your development work? We've got the answer for you. Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, You'll find a jQuery-based toolset that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 60-day trial with support. Also, Tablet Show number 19 was an interview with Todd Anglin on the Kendo UI. Richard and I talked to him at length about this great tool set. That's at thetabletshow.com, and look for show number 19 in the archives. And when you talk to the Telerik guys, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. There must be a bag of tricks in your talk that you, uh, that you pull out to help people make more responsive uh, web applications in this day and age. There are. The, the, the term responsive web design is uh, it's the new HTML5, which was the new Web 2.0. Um, and that's what I'm talking about today at NDC. But responsive really means uh, sites that adjust automatically to the device they're on. Mm -hmm. The reason I dislike the term is because I think of responsive as you click something and it does something within right. a re reasonable amount of time. But the world's against me there. That The main tricks are something in CSS called media queries. Mm -hmm. And that's the ability for CSS to say, if I'm on a slim screen device, 
for example, 440 pixels or right. less, then I'm going to give the browser these styles. And that usually is relaying out the page to a single column, for example. Right. Or it might be hiding extraneous uh, stuff that your mobile user may not want with a button to open it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can put any number of breakpoints you want. So it's comparatively trivial to make a website that looks nice and fits into an old feature phone, a smartphone, a tablet, and a laptop, for right. example. Uh, Wasn't this the original promise of CSS? If you separated your content from your styling, you could use different styles in different circumstances? It was. And in CSS 2, we had something called media types, when you said, uh, if the device tells me that it's handheld, I'm going to give you this style sheet. Mm-hmm. If the device tells me that it is uh, a printer, I'm going to give this style sheet. The mm-hmm. trouble was is that no devices ever told you they were handheld. <laughs> the devices were very clever at reformatting uh, websites designed for desktop, you know, yes. with clicking to zoom in, uh, scrolling and panning. They didn't want the stripped down handheld style sheets right. that people were writing. So now media queries took over when you're not asking what kind of device are you you're asking what capabilities do you have right mainly so, what resolution what Although, resolution what screen size how many colors you have because yeah. if, if you're uh looking at a site on, an, on a kindle which is monochrome you might very well wish to change background images or nuke the background images because you're going to get a mass yeah. grayscale which won't look great can you tell from the server side what the bandwidth is like for the client that's really interesting you ask that because uh, a colleague of mine here in Norway, um, a guy called Florian, he is the editor of CSS4 media queries. CSS3 oh. media queries went to uh, basically the last possible stage two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so we're just kicking off C- CSS4 media queries. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon, actually. The, the, the stuff that we need, which we don't have yet. So in CSS4, they're talking about, and it's very early days, Things like a media query, so is scripting enabled at the moment? Uh-huh. Uh, does your pointer allow a hover styling? I mean, lots of mobile devices don't have don't hover. Don't have a hover, yeah. But if it's a Microsoft Surface, you do have a hover because it knows if you're touching the device right. or, or above it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's things like, does your device have a remote control? Mm-hmm. And the reason you want to know that is because actually that's detecting a television. All right. And TV development is a really interesting thing sure. that's just coming Xbox, up. Xbox, for example, yeah, that has a nice browser. Precisely. And, mm-hmm. and you can check things like, uh, is my pointer resolution coarse or fine? Mm-hmm. Which really means, am I using a mouse or a finger? If I'm wow. using a finger, make my buttons a bit bigger. Sure. And you could do this right in styling. It would be a lot simpler to catch it there. Exactly. This this is this is on the table for CSS4, but I, I don't want your listeners to get too excited because what's on the table gets debated and sure. argued, etc. That seems like a no-brainer, though. It does seem like a no-brainer, yeah. If you're using a finger, make the buttons bigger so it's easier to hit. Well, but- it's great to hear. I mean, I know you've been involved in this process for some time. It's obviously, CSS3, quote-unquote, shipped. It has been implemented by a lot of browsers mm-hmm. at this point as part of the whole HTML5 stack. We're not looking for an HTML6 before CSS4 should be implemented. This might come separately, but it all comes down to when would this be implemented by the browser manufacturers? The thing that, I mean, they'll be implemented when the particular browser manufacturers see that it should be on their roadmap before feature Y. Sure. I I can tell you that, you know, if we, if we had a hundred times the development team that we have in Opera, Mm -hmm. we still, 
would have a huge pipeline of stuff because right. everybody wants different things. But uh, the media queries are so useful to making people want to make websites rather than native apps that mm-hmm. the browsers, you know, we have our vested interests. And as, brow- as a browser manufacturer, we have a vested interest in people browsing the web rather sure. than using native apps. And it, I mean, I'm really fascinated by this dynamic. I mean, it's nice to see the standards body working on a specification mm-hmm. early without any implementations going on. But you almost could think if Google and Microsoft abruptly looked at us at looked at us at and said, "I like those. Let's both implement those." Doesn't that sort of stick the standard a little? Isn't in your interest at that point to say, "Well, that's what's actually been implemented. They're using it. Should we really diverge from this?" What you're just, what, what you mentioned is basically the difference between XHTML2, which never happened, and mm. HTML5. I huh. mean, XHTML2 was uh, a brilliant spec of philosophical purity and right. elegance that had no relation to like, what was actually like in the many browsers. Specs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. H- HTML5 and, and, you know, I'm not a representative of Microsoft, but a lot of people don't give Microsoft enough credit, but a lot of the stuff in HTML5 was retrospectively standardizing stuff that Microsoft invented, but was never a standard. A lot of the stuff in HTML5 just goes back and standardizes stuff that we've been using for a long time. Content editable, right. uh, XML HTTP request, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Microsoft inventions, Canvas in HTML5 was invented by Apple yep. and thus right. uh, implemented by everybody else because it yeah. was demonstrably a great idea. Uh, Media queries was invented by Opera. Right. So HTML5 came out of what people were already doing, whereas XHTML2 was an academic exercise. Precisely, precisely. And and there's always a tension between what's been implemented and whether it's been implemented the right way and can it be improved upon. For example, there's something in HTML5 called App Cache, Application Cache, Mm -hmm. which allows you to uh, give a manifest and tell the browser, download all these assets. If I go to that URL and I have no network, Instead of just crapping out and saying, you know, you're not, you don't have any connectivity, get the assets from the cache and show the web page. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the use case for that is something like uh, online mail clients. So you're on a plane, you've got no Wi-Fi. Um, yep. Maybe you guys do in the US, but it's not so common in Europe yet to have Wi-Fi on the plane. Uh, so you can't send or receive mails because you have no network, but you can still um, spark up and compose a mail, delete stuff, manage stuff, put it in folders because the web app's working offline. Trouble is, is that it was specified, it's been implemented, and there's loads of problems with it. Sure. So that that's being fed back to the working group, and I fully expect there to be a kind of app cache too, which addresses that implementation experience and makes it better. This is the process. This is how the process always should work. Do you think uh, we're creeping towards an age when we have access to more? Well, I should say we're creeping to an age when we have access to more, but access to the devices on the on the the actual hardware devices in a JavaScript library without having to do any kind of you know translation. Totally. There's a, a group called the DAP. Um, and I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a W3C group. And there's another W3C group called Web Apps. And those are the guys who specified something called Get User Media, mm-hmm. which is implemented in Opera Mobile 12, Chrome Canary, and uh, Opera 12 coming out soon. And that allows me to get your video stream from your webcam yeah. or your device and then manipulate it. 
Uh, and built in sort of auth- authorization from the user kind of thing? Or? Of course, like geolocation. You know, you can't, you can't just turn on somebody's webcam and not tell them they have to allow it. But, uh, well, so I, I looked it up. So DAP stands for the Device APIs Working Group, which is why you can't remember it because it doesn't actually spell the acronym correctly. It, it used to stand for Devices and Policy. That's where it came from. So they, they, they've, re, they've rewritten it. Dog, D-A-W-G. Other things coming too are um, access to your contact book, mm-hmm. access to your calendar, access to your microphone. Uh, there's the accelerometer is already there. Yep. Geolocation, of course, access to the GPS on the device from JavaScript is is everywhere, right? And it's kind of old hat now. But three years ago, you wanted to access your device's location. You right. had to go native. So let's fast forward into the future when we have all this capability that now only exists in a in a native app. We're doing it in JavaScript. We're using HTML, CSS5. We are accessing the device. Okay, now we have this great web app that does everything that our native apps do. How do we monetize it? In other words, I mean, everybody can put up their own kind of shopping cart and stuff, but wouldn't it be grand if we could have all the benefit of the app store with the sort of, you know, the plug and playness of that and the one payer kind of thing? With the flexibility of the web being able to sell my own stuff. Absolutely. That's the, the $64,000 question that I always get asked because it's, it's the vital one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the guys at Mozilla who make Firefox, they are working on a mechanism of basically bagging up a web page, uh, as a zip file and then being a hang that on an app store and it's installable. Uh, and forgive me, Mozilla guys, if I'm misrepresenting you. I'm not doing it deliberately, but mm-hmm. I don't work for them. But that's the idea. And and the, the central reason for that is that there has to be some kind of monetization mechanism. Like a phone gap thing. Yeah. And personally, personally, and not speaking for my employers here, I'd like to see some standardized micropayment, mm-hmm. the micropayment system, uh, whether that came out the W3C. You know, when you're talking payments and money, of course, it gets it gets really serious. But well, what if there wasn't a, an app store per se? But what if there was uh, just a way that you could publish your thing so that uh, you know? I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Maybe maybe the the store itself is an entity not owned by any one device manufacturer. Well, that would be fantastic. Uh, on the other hand, you could argue that that's just what the web is. Mm-hmm. Sure, but when it comes to payment, you know, everybody's got their own thing. PayPal, or we do this, or we do that. I like the, you know, the, the sort of ease and plug and playness of the app store, but, I, but it would be great to be able to hook in to a web app store that did, you know, where you could still deliver a web page, but there was an obvious way to, to do it that was uh, ubiquitous. It would be great. Unfortunately, I don't see it happening in the, <clears throat> in the near future. I mean, there's a Chrome app store. And yeah. Chrome apps are incompatible with Mozilla apps. Right. And Mozilla apps are incompatible with uh, something that we had in Opera called Opera Widgets. They, they were so close that a guy uh, a guy in the UK wrote a converter that would grab a Chrome app and spit out an Opera Widget. But everybody seems to want to make their own walled garden, which I think is it's a terrible okay. shame. And also, it's bizarre when we've all been working so collegiately together to make HTML5, that suddenly there should be this almost retrograde step. As soon as you add money to the equation. And speaking of walled gardens, I mean, if you're going to talk about the micropayments, Facebook, like that could end up being the store. You've got a billion customers. They've got a micropayment system that people are already spending money into. 
you know, if, if, and they're now opening up this app store, mm -hmm. that could be the angle. And at least it's, you know, it's, it's not one of the, uh, the actual browser vendors. It's still a walled garden, but at least it's a bloody big one and a bloody slow one. The thing there is that, of course, in many ways, if you're big enough, you can, you can rule yep. stuff. And, and in the same way that Google rules search, yep. the argument about what's better or not is actually uh, pretty moot unless you're an uber geek who, who's willing to explore stuff. Once you get above a certain size, mm -hmm. you can do a lot. And I don't think that is always a bad thing. It's once you tend to monopoly, monopolies are always rubbish, right? But yeah. uh, there's a, there's a lot of distance between being big enough to be able to make stuff happen that doesn't there's, there's a lot of wiggle room between that, that and, monopoly. and the monopoly yeah yeah i mean you want in some ways i'm really happy with the environment of the browsers right now because there are big incumbent players no one is solely dominant but they're each large enough that it is not a completely fragmented market you know, the bottom line is if, if google and microsoft agree on something or if microsoft and apple agree on something or google and apple agree on something that's enough that pretty much drags everybody else along you know, those are big players there. But if if one of them tries to do something and the rest flatly disagree, it's not enough. The, the biggest problem for me is when people perceive a monoculture. So we've had a, a difficulty in Opera recently whereby we're huge on mobile, but a lot of high-end developers, you know, in, in Silicon Valley and around London, they see mobile equating with iOS Webkit. and Android. And right. therefore, we've seen a lot of websites and a lot of editors. There's a new one just come out where if you want to put a gradient in your CSS, it only writes WebKit. It could, oh. it, if it wrote Moz, it would work in Firefox. If it wrote O, it would work in Opera. If it wrote MS, it would work in IE10. But they've taken the decision only to add WebKit. And that means that if you are IE, Firefox, or yeah. Opera, your, your users get a, a lower experience mm -hmm. and users don't go oh these stupid developers they've they've assumed a monoculture and are only coding for one browser they say my browser's broken right uh, and of course that's bad for my employer as a business mm -hmm. and it's bad for the web because bad for everyone really yeah monocultures monocultures suck and you only have to look at ie6 for that yeah sure do Hey, Richard, guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. It's time to give away a Telerik Ultimate Collection, a $2,000 value from our friends at Telerik, uh, to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And today's winner is Francis Nepomuenseno from the Philippines. Sorry if I butchered your name, Francis, but you are the winner. Congratulations. Well done. Well done, indeed. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we give away stuff in every show, whether it's a... Telerik Ultimate Collection or a ticket to a conference. Every December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology. Um, right now, we're leaning towards a multi-core machine like 64 cores, but you never know what's going to happen. We don't decide now because the hardware keeps changing. That's right. We'll decide around uh, November or early December. But towards the end of December, we're going to do that. If you want to get in on it, go to .netrocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button in the upper right-hand corner. You can't miss it. And it's free. So I want to get back to um, what, you, what we were talking about, the, you know, the $64 million question is how to monetize this easily, how to monetize a web app across all of these browsers and all these platforms. Uh, you mentioned a tool that will package up your website as a zip file. 
I'm I'm sort of thinking that it doesn't really need to be a zip, you know, a website packaged up as much as it just needs to be a URL and some kind of metadata that provides access, you know, some sort of special URL that that only that app has access to. That's possible too, and I think that might be closer to what Mozilla are building. But yeah. I, I say that I haven't read the spec in enormous detail. So right. if your if your listeners would write in and comment and tell me what I should know, that'd be cool. Right. But wouldn't it be cool now if the if the App Store vendors, you know, if Apple and Zune and all of the Android app stores, if they allowed submissions to be HTML5 apps? I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about. And then the submission would be uh, an app. It would be a URL and, and some metadata around that URL. And you could sell it just like an app. On the other hand, if your app were a website, would you wish to pay 30% to an app store manufacturer for the distribution? Maybe you would. You know, you, and you're talking about the sort of core, core issue here, which is people believe the web is free, mm-hmm. and they naturally have a resistance to paying for anything related to web, where well, as soon as it's an app, 99 cents. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hmm. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I I probably would pay if it meant more discoverability, you know, and and monetization, which is really what I'm looking for. That's also true that I, I heard somebody talking recently, and I forget who it was. It might have been Aral Balkan who's speaking here, but uh, he was talking about the the frankly rather dreadful way of searching in app stores. You know, oh, yeah. you have great web search services now. Yep. You know, Yahoo, Bing, Google, DuckDuckGo, they all do a great job. And, you know... DuckDuckGo? Do you not know DuckDuckGo? I don't know oh, DuckDuckGo. Oh, uh, th- th- this is the one that um, my really uber-geeky friends uh, have been investigating lately. It's it's pretty cool. Neat. But, okay. um, you know, you, if you know enough keywords, or if you can remember enough of about a website you saw a month ago, you can find it pretty soon in, uh, in a web search, regardless of which one you choose. But in my limited experience of app stores, you pretty much have to know what you're looking for to find it. You know, you have to know a name sure. or something like that. And the categorizations are pretty lame, I think, in, in, in app stores. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of good rich metadata associated with these. Precisely. And yeah. there's also a lot of crap in app stores. You know, my, my, sure my, my kids, if, if they ever they find my phone lying around, are happy to fill it up with uh, two cent apps in which a talking character talks nonsense to me. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, there might be a billion apps in your app store, but actually how many of them are for anything other than a 12-year-old wishing to play a practical joke on the dad? Yeah. In all honesty. Well, uh, yeah. The- all this pressure, you know, we've been doing shows around WinPhone 7 and then trying to get more apps in the App Store, da 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 And I see 600,000 apps in the Apple App Store and think, that's a disaster. You mm-hmm. can't find a thing. Yes, yeah. It's the searchability is the thing that hampers them, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I'm not a great app user personally because I'm a web guy and, you know, that that's that's what pays my salary and that's what uh, fuels me. So I like to, to use it as much as possible. Well, and... and Compiled code in a native app is not terribly indexable. But it turns out we've been indexing HTML for a long time and we're bloody good at it. We know how to do it, exactly. We did a, a test in Opera about three years ago. We took uh, three million URLs chosen at random. Or quasi-random because we made sure we grabbed uh, most of the world's major languages that weren't in Latin script as well. Mm-hmm. And we looked at what they were made of. And I believe 95.4% of them were tag soup HTML. Not not 
good in inverted commas HTML. Tag soup. Tag soup. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sort of, uh, centers and fonts and bolds yeah. and tables for layout. Right. And we still do a fantastic job of organizing that information. You know, Google, Bing, Yahoo, etc. Are there representations of those app store apps on the web? In other words, is there a place I can go to on an Apple website and do a search for an app on, for an iPhone? Not, I don't know. Yeah. Cause that's the obvious know. answer is to, you know, let Google index that stuff for, for Apple anyway, you know, to app for Apple to export all that metadata to something that's searchable by Google and then leverage them. Yeah. I, I, I'm a Luddite, unfortunately, yeah. when it comes to app stores. Hey, Bruce, got a question off of Twitter because I tweeted that I was chatting with you and uh, Brian Hall sent me this question. He'd like your opinion on keeping separate CSS files for different media queries or just embedding all the media queries in a single CSS file. Right. So I think there's a, a significant difference here between how your development processes are mm-hmm. and what you've got on production. So personally, I like to have separate files simply because when I'm trawling through hundreds of lines of CSS, my eyes glaze over, my mind goes blank, and I have to go and drink a beer. You don't so, want to get into that if-then-else thing. Yeah. It's bad enough. So just having a, a file for your 480 format, for your 900 format. Precisely. That, that sort of- but some build script that munges them all together for production. Mm-hmm. Because uh, given that... I mean, it's not the case that everybody's going to be using mobile exclusively, but right. more and more people are using mobile. And the single, the single point at which your mobile app or website gets slowed is when you're making HTTP requests across the network. Right. You have no idea how long it's going to take to make that request and get it sent back. The latency is the silent killer. Exactly. So if you have five different CSS files, mm-hmm. you are probably introducing a noticeable lag for your punter. Although theoretically, you're only going to grab one of them, right? Theoretically, yes. However, uh, as we know, in theory, theory and practice are the same. But in practice, <laughs> they're very different. Very different. There, there's some great, some great tests I've been looking at recently in the last week, actually, looking at what browsers really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm quite pleased to say that Opera, we do a really great job of not downloading stuff we don't need. Sure. Other browsers haven't quite got there yet. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread, but now, of course, it's Grape City Power Tools Spread. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. Now, uh, Richard, I know that your product at Strangeloop does some tricks with uh, JPEGs. In other words, takes all the images that are on a website and combines them into one composite image, and then they're sliced apart on the, on the client. Is there any smarts in, uh, you know, built into these phones or built into your websites that can, can do that for us so that we're only making one call for all images? Uh, that kind of thing seems like a no-brainer in, when you're trying to uh, make a, an app more responsible. You can do that with CSS. 
mm-hmm. uh, CSS background images. You can have what they call CSS sprites, whereby it's actually one image. That's the technique we use at Strange Loop. Yeah, you can do that. You can't do that with content images yet, uh, because every image tag is trying to grab a separate URL. Uh, and the, the situation is even more uh, compounded because what people want, the current holy grail, if you like, is the ability to say, I know that I'm on a retina display, therefore I want to grab this super high resolution image right. of Carl and Richard. I know that I'm on a 400 pixel wide feature phone, so I don't want to grab that super high resolution that is, you know, 100K, I want to grab this lower resolution one. And there's no way to do that in HTML at the moment. There's no way to do it whereby you don't actually grab one image and then throw that out and grab, grab a second. One. And that's something we're working on. Can you, as can't we you do that in JavaScript? You can't. And the reason you can't is what they call uh, prefetching. So the minute that the browser has your HTML, even before it's got your CSS, even before it's got your JavaScript, it runs away and grabs those images in order to make your browser feel faster. Right. So the trouble is, is that by the time you've parsed the JavaScript to find out if you need to get a second image, you've already downloaded most of the first image. Right. So there has to be unless an HTML Unless there's no technique. first image, unless there's, unless there's content specifically for the phone that gets all the images through JavaScript. And then what but happens? then what happens is you sit and wait for those images to come and fill in. You get a blank screen. And one of the, you know, what happens on phones that aren't running JavaScript. Right. So there, there, there is, as far as I can tell, and you know, I'm by no means the brainiest guy on the planet, but as far as I can tell, there's no simple way to accomplish that. Yeah, this and, sounds like another CSS4 feature. The idea of saying, specifying an image, a particular, having one tag essentially that says, this is where this image should go. Yeah. Here are the five images based on the different media types that could, that could go there. And, it, and so that it makes a decision once. Yeah. We, 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 I originally suggested something called picture. And mm-hmm. picture would have several different source children. And attached to those sources would be a media query. Right. And this is directly ripped off from the HTML5 video element, which does the same. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cool. The trouble with that is it's a ball ache to author. You know, if you've got 50 images on your page yeah. and in each of those images, you've written five or six different media queries. Mm-hmm. This is nasty. Yeah. Right. And also the trouble is, is that what you can do with media queries at the moment isn't necessarily what you actually want to do, because you might want to say it's not to do with the screen width, it's to do with the uh, current network speed. Right. But you have no way to express that. You really that. want that algorithm, right? You want to say, given this, res- and it's, it's screen width, DPI and bandwidth that's going to affect that decision of what image do I get. Yeah, so, so the, the current thinking... And this is, this is being hotly debated as we speak. This morning I dragged down another 20 emails about this, but the current thinking is that you as a developer, you as an author, shouldn't have to worry about all the different permutations. Hmm. So what you would do is you would describe your image. You would say, this image is of medium resolution. This image is, uh, retina display resolution. Right. This image is this size and the browser would employ what it knows of the local conditions and make the decision for it you. Seems to me this would be an, this would be easily solved on a server. If I was writing a web forms application, I get the, you know, my page in it and I get all of the, uh, the device information from the browser and I can tell what it is. And based on that, I can serve up a different image tag. That's possible. But then, uh, it's not terribly backwards compatible. 
Yeah, I mean, what we want is a single tag that that implies all of this, and for an old style but a browser doesn't understand it, it's just an image tag. That's 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 the thinking at the moment. It's something like image source equals, and then in IE six that would still work. It would right. Grab that one source. Alt equals because you've got to have your alt text, and then the yeah. current thinking is there's another attribute called source set in which you list all the different URLs of the different variant images and, and then, you describe then you need the expression them. that relates to that. Yeah, it's something like a 300H200W1, which is, this is 300 wide, 200 tall, and it's of resolution 1, 1 being an arbitrary number. And then you've right. got another one that says this is resolution 2, this is resolution mm-hmm. 6. And based upon what the browser knows of its current environment, mm-hmm. it would grab the right one. Because the kind of people who are listening to this are high-end developers. Mm-hmm. But we all know that really on the web, most people don't know how to write alt text for their images. So that the, yeah. the realistically, are people going to think through all the different permutations, all the different breakpoints and author it? Now, this sounds like something that a good editor does for you, right? That you start with the higher res- resolution image, say, do this for six, the six resolution types there. It mm-hmm. spits out the different permutations and writes the string for you. I, I agree that it should be a job that a machine does rather than a person, but mm-hmm. I say let the browser do it. And let the browser make the decision, but in the yeah. creation side, I mean, that's the thing oh, yeah, that frightens yeah. me about yeah. this whole process yeah. is I got to sit down and figure all that stuff out. So I want on the creation side, I give you the highest resolution version and you generate the other versions, keep all the same size and build that source string for me because that's not a simple source string to write. Yes, yes, that that would be how I'd see it. And, you know, editors are great. This mm-hmm. is the kind of thing you want them to do. Yeah, and we're writing, I mean, it's fairly complex script, but it's good script. This is, the, you know, the real web we want to work with. I hate if then else clothes code yeah, yeah i hate testing for types of browsers and changing the way the page is going to be built I, you know i like the way modernizer hides that yeah we're no longer talking browser specific we're talking function specific precisely you know and then we could talk about polyfills and downgrades and so forth and i want that same sort of effect for my images yeah uh, uh, what the great thing about html is it's declarative you say mm-hmm. i want an image here and here are some images and they have these characteristics mm-hmm. you're not writing if then else because the world isn't full of programmers yeah. And that's great because it means programmers get massive salaries and we can afford to drink lots of beer. Yes. If the world were all programmers, then we'd have to find something else to or do. Or scotch. Yes. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to go back to being an exotic dancer. <laughs> go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, the other thing that concerns me is as soon as we put specifications for the image into the text, mm-hmm. it's going to be wrong, right? Something's going to happen to the image and then you're going to have that mismatch. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? There's a. Uh, <clears throat> hidden metadata in the image itself. Yeah. I mean, uh, what a lot of people said, what about content negotiation? You know, that the server knows what's going on mm-hmm. and that you request, you know, nice picture of Carl and Richard.jpg and the server works out which actually, which well, of the actual that ones was my argument have. too, you know, to, it seems like it's more easily solved on the server than it is on the client. But it's, ne- it's content negotiation has got a bad history. It's never really worked. And mm-hmm. also there's a lot of HTML out there that doesn't actually have a server. Things like EPUB, for example. Right. That's the difficulty. It, not there's so much HTML and CSS out there now that is not on the web. It's and, being and I'm used. Talking, we now go down the evil path, like uh, uh, mime HTML, and I can actually embed the image as a UU encoded string in the page, and then use Spritey to place it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll defeat your 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 media processing all the bits. It's um the the problem seems to be that the only way to get around it is mint something new mm-hmm. in HTML. Uh, in fact, I, I suggested it to some of the guys on the 
the working group, you know, the, 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 the inner cabal. And in January, they said, well, we don't just don't see why there's a problem. Hmm. Uh, they seem to have changed their mind now so much that there is active work in specifying. Well, it. And I like what you brought up, which is they've already done this for video for the same reason. Yeah. Right. That, yeah, you need multiple formats. I think the only reason it's a bigger deal in video is because the size is so dramatic when you yeah. get the formats wrong. Yeah. So exactly. being, just because the size is smaller in images. Because mobile, we're so constrained. I mean, this is all about dealing with mobile. Yes. I yeah, think, really. I it mean, is. It'll, it'll certainly benefit everything else. But mobile really cares that we're throwing away bites. It's yeah. a dumb thing to do. And it certainly mattered in video, and it's going to matter in images. Precisely. Uh, and, you know, people are competing on on speed. Uh, and perceived speed matters, which is why we have that whole prefetch problem of grabbing the images literally as soon as you know what the URL is before you've even grabbed everything else. All right, so... I mean, we're going to do word association here. Okay. Say a word. You tell me the first thing that pops in your mind. Ready? Oh, uh, okay. Flash. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, is it Freddie Mercury word association? Flash. Ah. Flash, really useful, but goodbye. But you heard they just, apparently Adobe made some kind of deal to make sure that Flash is included in IE 10 in Win 8. I don't know if it, maybe I was hallucinating when that ha- that came along. Did no, you say you weren't hallucinating? It, it's uh, only for specific sites, yeah, like yeah. YouTube. Um, yeah, kind of makes others. sense. I, I, I don't want to do down Flash too much. They've done great things for the web. It, it, basically, the reason HTML5 happened, and and the editor Ian Hickson, mm-hmm. who who was at Opera but then moved to Google. He's on record on YouTube as saying we were frightened of Flash and Silverlights mm-hmm. because people were moving to those things because you could author stuff that was almost impossible in HTML5. So the web has been advanced, if only because of fear yeah. of these non-web Which technologies. Is not a bad thing. I mean, no. When it was just Flash, it wasn't as, as big a deal. When Silverlight came along, I think it really tweaked things up. It forced Flash to get better. Certainly drove Silverlight sure. more. But then, you know, suddenly HTML5 became a much bigger deal. I'm I'm glad for all of that. Likewise. I also think we got into the situation. That, you know, Adobe deserves the punishment they got. They did bad things with Flash. They harmed a lot of machines. You know, it became a very poisonous piece of software in a lot of desktops. Uh, because it, it, granted, they were dealing with a hard problem, but you can do better. And and now it seems like it's it's over. I mean, Jobs' biggest legacy seems to be the the he he spearheaded the anti plugin movement. He was certainly the figurehead for the anti plugin mm-hmm. movement. I, I know a lot of people dislike them, and I, I mean, I don't like downloading plugins, and I yeah. don't like my dad ringing me up and saying it's telling me to. Download this. And what you is said it? Never download anything. Exactly. After that. Exactly. Are, are yeah. You, right. Did I turn my webcam off? Have you been watching me or something <laughs> like that? Doing tech support. But yes, exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. But it it has advanced the web. It's, yeah. And at the time it came out, it was revolutionary. I mean, it was, I remember it being like three or four hundred k. Yeah. Just a ridiculously small uh, video. But okay, here's another word for word association, and it's not really a word, but it's H two sixty four. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, the trouble with H264 is that it's royalty encumbered. It's That's the problem. It's royalty, royalty encumbered. If you charge people oh, to look at your videos, you have to pay a royalty to the MPEG LA. Right. Although at the same time, I thought one of the strengths of it was because the patents were all covered under the guys who are building browsers. You know, we don't have any of the issues that might arise over some of these other formats where the IP ownership is vague. I would be shot by Opera's lawyers if I even comment about patents, so I won't. Right. But uh, 
it seems to me that video is such a vital part of the web that any kind of yeah. r- royalty of for using a format is so, holding back the uh, holding back the web. Mm. So real quick, uh, it's easy for me to produce a video with H.264, produce an MP4 video that really has the best bang for the buck in terms of size and quality, upload that to YouTube. I don't have to pay any royalties. Yeah. Now YouTube is streaming that. Yeah, where is the royalty chain in there? Isn't it at the creation level? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking there's, I, it seems unlikely to me that there's a royalty that Microsoft and Google and Opera and so forth are paying to implement that decoder on the browser. But I bet there's a royalty on any app that can create H.264 files. If you want to ship an MP4, sorry, an H.264 decoder, Last year, it was 5 million US, I believe, you had to pay. Wow, so an Uh, encoder is one thing, a decoder is another. So that's one of the reasons why Firefox and Opera are not particularly anxious to have to do that. And your point is, Microsoft and Google and Apple have paid that money for the right to do that. Microsoft and Apple are part of the MPEG-LA who collect the royalties. Oh, okay. What a good deal for them. Good deal for them. Well, Bruce, it's been great talking to you. I know you got to go do a talk, so we're going to let you go. Thank you enormously for having me on. It's really great oh, it's to be able to talk to You bet. Stay in people. touch. There's always more to talk about. Cheers, gentlemen. And Thank you, listeners. Next year, your hair will be green. Next year, my hair will be orange. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll see you again next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, PluralSight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.